Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand. Episode 56, Patupatu. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. Hatupatu and his brothers lived somewhere near Rotorua and Taupo, where the weird subterranean fires are forever creeping under the earth, appearing through the cracks in the rocks and heating the mud pools. Hatupatu's brothers spent most of their time snaring birds, which they brought to their whare and preserved in fat in baskets made of bark. Poor little Hatupatu stayed at home and felt sorry for himself, because he was not allowed to go with them. When they came home to cook their evening meal, they kept the best parts for themselves, so that Hatupatu got only the oldest and toughest birds. After a time, he became so thin that his ribs could be seen under his skin, but his brothers only laughed at him. Sitting by the fire, red-eyed with the smoke, Hatupatu brooded over his wrongs, and one night, he decided that if his brothers would not feed him properly, he would look after himself. The next day, he waited until his brothers had disappeared among the trees, and their voices had died away in the distance, and then he hurried to the storehouse. His mouth watered as he looked at the rows and rows of baskets filled with fat and tasty birds. He took some pounded fern root and sat down to enjoy himself, as only a Māori can. He feasted on the tender birds and fern root till his skin grew tight and he could eat no more. Then he began to think. His brothers would see that someone had been at the stores, for several of the baskets were empty. Hatupatu grew afraid. He decided to make it appear that some enemy had raided the storehouse. He knocked over several of the baskets and scattered the contents over the floor. He ran a spear into himself in several places until blood came, but in such a way that he was not seriously hurt. When it grew dusk and he heard his brothers returning, he lay down near the whare as though he was unconscious. The brothers found him lying on the path, covered in blood, and believing him to be wounded, they carried him inside and bathed his wounds. A war party came and broke into the storehouse, Hatupatu said in a weak voice. I I tried to keep them off, but they attacked me with spears, and then I, I don't remember anything until I saw you. They poured melted fat over his wounds and sat down to their evening meal. As usual, they took the best and gave a small, unappetizing share to Hatupatu. But after his morning feast, he could not have touched the most tempting morsel, so he went and sat on the smoky side of the fire. His brothers saw his red-rimmed eyes and laughed at him. Hatupatu blinked and coughed in the smoke and smiled secretly to himself. The following day, Hatupatu repeated the performance, and the next, and the next, until his brothers became suspicious. They left home one morning, but returned quietly and looked through the doorway of the storehouse. There was Hatupatu sitting down with a plump bird in his hands, tearing the white flesh with his strong teeth. They watched him get to his feet and begin overturning the baskets, until they could no longer contain their anger. They rushed in and killed him, and hid his body under a heap of feathers which had accumulated from all the birds they had plucked. 
Soon after this, the brothers returned to their home at Rotorua. Their parents greeted them and said, But where is Hatupatu, your little brother? We do not know. Is he not here? You know very well that he is not here. Where is he? They had nothing to say for a moment, and then everybody began to talk at once. We don't know. We are not supposed to look after him. Perhaps he has run away somewhere. Maybe he is playing a trick and will be here soon. I thought you were supposed to look after him. Me? I wasn't looking after him. You were supposed to look after him. Their father looked at each one of them in turn until the tongues were stilled and said shortly, He is dead. You have killed him. He went inside his house where he spoke to his wife. Our sons have killed Hatupatu. He is dead. I can read it in their faces. What shall we do? she asked. We will seek him out. I will send a spirit to look for him. He repeated an incantation, and a few moments later, a blowfly came blundering inside and buzzed around the room. It was Tamumu, he that buzzes in the skies. Find my son, whose body lies somewhere in the hills, before you come to Topo Moana, Hatupatu's father ordered. Tamumu flew from the whare, lifting himself above the hills, which thrust their broken walls up into the clear air. The myriad facets of his eyes reflected every fold in the ground. After a while, Tamumu flew to the ground, for he had seen a deserted whare in a clearing. He went to the storehouse and found a huge pile of feathers. Crawling amongst them, it was not long before he found the body of Hatupatu. He who buzzes in the skies had the ear of the gods, and presently the blood began to course through Hatupatu's veins again, and he stirred. As he rose from his feather resting place, Tamumu returned to Rotorua. Hatupatu looked around. His brothers had gone, and there was no one there. He snatched up a wooden spear, ran out of the food house, and plunged into the forest. Not long after, he came upon an old woman who was killing birds. Instead of thrusting a spear gently through the leaves, though, she crept under the covering of the foliage and speared them with her lips. For a little space, Hatupatu stood spellbound, watching her. As she crept quietly up to a tree, he drew back his arm and aimed his spear at a bird. The thin shaft struck a branch and the point flew towards the lips of the woman. She uttered a cry and turned round. Hatupatu ran between the trees, keeping in the shade. Behind him, he heard the slow footsteps of the strange woman of the forest. But though he strained every muscle and the sweat dropped from his face, the sound of pursuit grew louder. He stopped under a tree and looked back, his chest heaving, his breath coming in sobbing gasps. As he watched, he saw that there were wings on her arms, and she seldom put her feet on the ground. She was coming towards him in long, slow bounds, half lying, half leaping, rising and falling like a bird with clipped wings. In a moment of time, she had seen him, and before he could move, with a little cry, she pounced on him. Her bony fingers fastened round his waist, and Hatupatu was dragged along a narrow path to a tumble-down whare hidden beneath a clump of Nico palms. Lie here, she said as she pushed him through the door. The following morning, Hatupatu sat up and looked round him. His captor had brought in a bird. It had not been cooked, but she fell on it and began to tear its flesh with her sharp teeth. When her hunger was satisfied, she handed the remains of the bird to the boy. 
He pretended to eat it, but the raw flesh sickened him, and when the old woman was not looking, he slid out of sight. Stay here, she said presently. You cannot escape. If you leave this house, I will know that you have gone, and I shall catch you and punish you. When she had left, Hatupatu stood up and examined the whare. A beautiful kākahu of red kākā feathers hung on the wall. Beside it, there was another of dogskin, and another woven of finest flax. I should like to take them, Hatupatu thought. He spoke to the tame birds that fluttered in and out of the door, and the lizards that peered at him with their beady eyes. Perhaps she has set them to watch me, he said to himself, and shivered as the death omens ran in and out of the gaps in the rush walls. Day after day passed by, and each morning the woman reminded him, I shall know if you leave. When she said that, Hatupatu felt cold, for her eye was like a lizard's. There was no fire in the whare, and he was growing thinner every day for lack of food. One morning, the old woman said, I am going to a distant part of the country. See that you keep yourself inside the whare. I shall know if you leave. As soon as she was out of sight, Hatupatu made a fire and roasted one of the birds. When he had eaten it, he lay down to sleep. He was awakened by the sun shining on his face. He looked up at it and said to himself, She's a long way off now. I may never have such a good chance of escaping again. He took down the fine cloaks from the wall and made a bundle of them. A tayaha lay in a corner, which he picked up and rolled it around his head, striking down the birds as they fluttered round the house. Not one shall escape, he chanted. I will destroy everything that belongs to the old woman. He killed the lizards and slashed at the reed frames on the wall. Then he picked up his bundle and ran into the forest. In the whare, all the birds and lizards lay still in death. All but one. This bird had hidden in a dark corner, and when Hatupatu left, it flew through the doorway and straight over the hills to where the old woman was hunting. Hatupatu ran swiftly towards his own country, with his head over his shoulder. There was no sign of the old woman, and he began to feel safe. Presently, he lay down to rest. Then, he saw the old woman. She was a speck on the distant hills. A few moments later, her wings had carried her about a hundred yards from where Hatupatu was resting. The next moment, he felt her hot breath on his back. He turned to fly, but his way was barred by a great rock which lay in his path. Open! Rock! He called in desperation. The rock swung back, and as Hatupatu hurried into the dark, it crashed back again. He could hear the old woman beating against it, and the fluttering wings of the little bird. When the sounds had died away, Hatupatu crept out of the rock and hurried on. The sharp eyes of the bird saw him again, and Hatupatu hid under the close leaves of a tree until the old woman had gone past. So they went on, until they came to Rotorua. At Whakarewarewa, where the boiling mud stirs and gurgles in the ground, Hatupatu ran lightly between the pools. The woman was almost on top of him. She stretched out her talons to seize him, but the hot steam rose in front of her and blinded her so that she missed her footing and fell into the boiling mud and sank from sight. Hatupatu waved his weapon in triumph and went on until he reached the shores of Lake Rotorua. 
Holding his bundle in one hand and the Taiaha in the other, he plunged into the waters of the lake and swam across to Makoya. It was dusk, but he could see the warm bathing pool close to his parents' home. He sat down and waited. When it was quite dark, he heard someone coming. The footsteps came closer. Hatupatu could just see a dark shape near the water. He stretched out his hand and seized an ankle. There was a sudden gasp. Who are you? Hatupatu asked in a low voice. I'm the slave of the old man and the old woman in the fare nearest the pool, was the reply. What are you doing here? I've come to get water for them, but who are you? You will see soon enough, Hatupatu said. Lead me to your fare. As soon as he entered the dimly lit fare, the old people lifted up their voices. It is Hatupatu, our son, they cried. Be quiet, Hatupatu said in a low voice. It is indeed Hatupatu. I have risen from the dead. Tamumu brought me back to life, but Tamumu came from my father and mother. I have returned, and I am glad to be here. But you must not weep, lest my brothers should hear. His mother's arms were round him. We shall protect you now, my son. It is gladness to have our youngest with us. You must not leave us again, Hatupatu. The boy shook his head. I know that you will care for me, but my brothers are strong. They must not see me yet. Before daylight comes, I will hide in the Kumara pit. For several days, Hatupatu lay in the Kumara pit. But at night, he came back to his home again and lay with his father and mother. Time went slowly for Hatupatu because it was dark in the Kumara pit and in the fare there was only a smoky fire. His ears caught all the sounds of the village, and he heard the talking of his brothers. They were grumbling because the poor food their mother was giving them, little knowing that the best went to Hatupatu. One morning, he heard the sound of voices. He wondered whether someone had seen him and recognised him as he ran from the pit to the fare after dark. Hatupatu is here! Hatupatu has come home! was the cry. That is nonsense, he heard his brothers say. Hatupatu is dead. He cannot come home. You said you did not know what had become of him, his father said accusingly. Before they could reply, Hatupatu rose slowly from the Kumara pit. A chief's feathers were in his hair and down from the breast of an albatross in his ear. His eyes flashed fire. Oh, Hatupatu, his brother jeered when they had recovered from their surprise. You're pretending to be grown up, but all the time you have been hiding in the Kumara hole like a rat in the ground. You're still a child. Hatupatu looked at them, only his eyes showing above the ground. I am older now, my brothers, he said quietly. Oh, Hatupatu, you are still a little boasting boy. If you were a man, you would come out and fight us. With a single movement, Hatupatu bounded out of the cave, his cloak of red feathers swinging, his taiaha held in his hand. This is the weapon I took from Kuranai Tuku, the bird woman. She lies dead in the mud of Whakarewarewa. This is her cloak. He twitched the cape off his shoulders, flexed his muscles, and leaped high in the air. Hundreds of his brother's followers had gathered round. Hanui, Haroa, Karika, Hatupatu shouted, addressing himself to his brothers. I am ready. The three brothers leapt at him and attempted to take him off guard. Hatupatu stepped backward and turned the strokes of their weapons on his taiaha. They rattled on the stout wood like hail. 
Then he sprang forward, the Taiaha flashing through the air, the tongue darting at the heads of his brothers. Hatupatu stood back. His brothers were breathing heavily, and they came forward warily. Once more, the three blades flailed through the air, and once more Hatupatu caught them with his Taiaha. It whirled around his head with the sound of a pigeon's wings. In and out went the striking head. Crash! The butt came over. The brothers lay still on the ground, and the fight all out of them. My sons, said the father, you are very bold when it comes to attacking your younger brother. You would do better to spend your energy in wiping out the insult of Romati. The brothers hung their heads. Te Arawa, the waka, had been burnt by Romati, and the insult had never been wiped out. Everyone waited for their reply. Hanui, the eldest, rose. I will avenge Te Arawa, he said, and went off to his whare. I will avenge Te Arawa, said Harua, the second son. Karika, the third-born, stood up. I will avenge Te Arawa, he said. Everyone then looked to Hatupatu, but he said nothing and walked into his father's whare. Find out what happens to Hatupatu and his brothers next time. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaotearoa.com with the new Instagram page. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. This podcast is a one-man band. If you enjoy listening to me talk history, you can support us through Patreon, buy merch, or give us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, hari tu atu, hoki tu mai. See you next time.